This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, rushing our way into episode number 19. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, mamas and daddies. This is Kristen Burgess, and you're listening to episode 19 of the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. To be honest, things have been so hectic for me in the last few weeks that I couldn't get a podcast recorded this week. I am instead going to add on a recording that I did for my natural childbirth classes that I teach online every week. So you're going to get to listen to this week's class session instead of an official mama baby birthing class. It's on simplifying pregnancy diet and also the importance of pregnancy diet and why it's worth the effort when you can't always make it super easy. I hope that you'll get a lot out of it and enjoy it and I look forward to coming back to you with a fresh episode of the Birth Baby and Life podcast in a couple of weeks. Today's topic is diet simplified. This is something I've been asked about a lot just for a simple and concise, easy-to-follow overview of pregnancy diet. I do want to help make it simple, not too simple. Diet can feel complicated, and I don't want it to feel complicated to you to the point of it feeling discouraging. But I also don't want to make it too simple uh, in the sense that I don't want you to underestimate the importance of your pregnancy diet and underestimate the difference that you can make in your life, in your birth, and most importantly in the life of your child by your pregnancy diet. When I say that I don't want to make it too simple, what comes to my mind are a couple of erroneous approaches to pregnancy diet. One is the standard advice that you'll read in the pregnancy magazines. You only need 300 extra calories a day in your second and third trimester. Just add more fruits and vegetables. That's kind of what you read, isn't it? That's, I think that's really misleading. That makes it sound like your baby essentially doesn't need anything extra, except for maybe some extra fruits and veggies. The truth is, is that Dr. Dr. Tom Brewer, who was a doctor who researched nutrition extensively, he found out that on average his patients, and we're talking about 19 years serving in a low-income clinic in California, years of study in Florida before that. I mean, we're talking decades of study this man did. Um, he found out that the average pregnant woman ate about 2,700 calories a day. That's probably dramatically more than a lot of women are eating before they get pregnant. We live in a society where low-fat, low-calorie is held up as an idol in front of all women. And a stick-thin figure is held up as an idol. And a 1,500, 1,700-a-day calorie intake is held up as some sort of gold standard, and that once you're creeping up to 2,000 calories or above, there must be something wrong with you. You must be a pig. Of course, you know that I don't believe that, and I, I, I don't measure my caloric intake very often, but I would wager that mine is probably around 2,000, 2,100, 2,200 
Uh, and I'm nursing my baby right now, who at the time of this recording is almost six months old. And I'm definitely eating less than I did when I was pregnant just because I'm not quite as hungry. And I'm also not quite as good about making sure that I get in my snacks. But when I was pregnant with him, I took in a lot more calories because I was naturally hungrier. You're naturally hungrier during pregnancy. Dr. Brewer did not advise women to restrict any nutritious foods. And he found out that on average women took in about 2,700 calories. So that's probably dramatically more than just 300 extra calories for the majority of women. And for women who are eating about that much, who drop all processed foods and were to just start eating whole foods, then they would probably find that they were eating a lot less whole food calories than they're able to take in with processed foods and that this kind of dramatic increase takes some work. Um, so 300 extra calories a day is really very simplistic. Going back to Dr. Brewer again, though, there's another misconception that I think that's out there, and I guess we can say we can blame Dr. Brewer, or rather we can blame his entire nutritional theory being boiled down to eat more protein. And that's something that you'll hear. That's something you'll hear in natural birth circles is make sure that you, you eat more protein and you're good. And that's definitely not the whole truth. That's very simplistic. It has a very good basis. Uh, you do need to get adequate protein during pregnancy. There's a huge chance that you're not getting enough protein and you need to consciously make sure that you are. But it is too simplistic. Uh, it doesn't... It doesn't consider where the protein source is coming from, and it doesn't consider any of the other nutritional recommendations that Dr. Brewer made. Dr. Brewer had an entire diet, and believe me, his diet did not consist of seven little boxes for you to check off protein servings a day. There was a lot more to it. So diet is, you can't really be simplistic about it where you can just distill it down to eat 300 calories in your veggies or eat a lot of protein every day. It's not that simple. It is very important. Before I even get into to how, to make, how to make it a little bit simpler so you can keep up with it, I want you to understand that it's, it's vitally important. And also, I, I want you to understand that I have Corwin with me right now, and he's not sleeping, so you may hear him babbling. Um, but anyways, nutrition is, is very important. This is where you need to start. You need to start by forming the conviction that your diet is extremely important. Every mother wants a healthy baby. Dr. Brewer said this when he was working in his clinic in Contra Costa County, California. He was working in a low-income, high-risk mother clinic and he said that he found that every mother wanted a healthy baby. And when she understood what it took to have a healthy baby, she was willing to do that. I've heard this echoed and elaborated upon a lot lately. I've been studying the work of midwife Jenny Joseph. She works in Florida uh, right now at the time of this recording. And she's, she's a British-trained midwife who has come to the United States. She's been here for, for many years, and she's established this birth center in Florida, and she's doing amazing things there, especially with the minority populations, because uh, 
a disproportionate number of minority pregnancies end with complications, and there's a disproportionate number of neonatal or baby deaths for minorities, and she really has a great burden to help change that for all mothers, but especially for these minorities who are losing their babies, even educated women, uh, African-American, Hispanic lawyers, doctors, these women are losing their babies at disproportionate rates. And, and in fact, I was, I was just watching one of her videos showing that African-American professional women, these are professional women, lawyers, doctors with successful careers, have a higher chance of losing their babies than a white high school dropout. So some people may say, oh, it's just education level, but that's not really what's going on. There's something else going on. And Jenny has made it her mission to find that out and to close this gap and in doing so uh, eliminate these problems with poor pregnancy outcomes and with mothers losing their babies. So her birth center is really, she's got an integrated care approach. I think she calls it the, the JJ way, and that's trademarked. That's her approach, and I'm, I've really been kind of digging into it. Just I'm just starting to learn what it's all about right now, so I won't go into a lot of it. Um, maybe I'll try and do an interview with Jenny. But I'm really fascinated by her work. But one of the things she says is that every mother wants a healthy baby, and every mother deserves one. So I find it interesting that she, too, is working with very low-income women, minorities, and the statistics for her birth center, and I believe that the midwives in her center will also attend home births for low-risk moms, but the statistics speak to themselves. They have eliminated the uh, that divide between minorities and, and say, white babies. They've, they've eliminated that disparity in statistics where those babies are, are uh, dying in disproportionate numbers, where those pregnancies are having disproportionate pregnancy complications. And one of the ways that she's done this is, is because she's found that every mother wants a healthy baby. And they do a lot of things in the clinic. Uh, in addition to nutrition education, childbirth education, the entire team is an integrated team. They work together. The mothers are empowered. But, uh, but I find it interesting that both she and Dr. Brewer working in these low-risk populations found that every mother does want a healthy baby. Every mother deserves one, and when you empower a mother, she does what it takes. And Dr. Brewer was speaking specifically in the context of nutrition, and that's why I want to come to you with this specifically in the context of nutrition to say that no matter what the odds, you want a healthy baby, and you can do what it takes to have a healthy baby. Uh, another midwife, Carla Hartley, I just took a continuing education class with her. I just finished it up about a month ago. And one of the things she said at the beginning of the class, so a few months ago now, was that she wanted us to develop a conviction about the subject. Because once we had, once we had the information, had done the research and formed a conviction, then her work was done because we would go forward with that conviction in our lives, uh, in midwifery practices, in our childbirth education classes, um, from whatever walk of life the student in her class was coming from, she would take that forward and spread the message. And that was extremely powerful. I didn't realize how powerful it was when she said it at the beginning of the class. 
at the end of the class, once I had done the 150 pages <laughs> that were comprised of my, uh, my class research submission, uh, I was convicted about those, that class material. It wasn't nutrition, it was about third stage flavor, but, but I, once I had that information, it became a conviction to me. And nutrition has been a conviction a long time, and I want it to be a conviction for you. I can't go into everything here because I am trying to get this more to the practical information for you. But I can tell you that good prenatal nutrition is right up there at the top of what you can do to ensure that you have a healthy baby, to ensure that you have a low-risk pregnancy, to ensure that you have a natural childbirth, to ensure that there are very few risks after birth, to ensure that you have a bountiful milk supply, to ensure that you don't suffer from postpartum depression. It, it just, uh, prevention doesn't sell in, the, in our modern society. Cures sell, but uh, ladies, I want to sell this to you. I, I mean, this is, this, is, this is probably the biggest thing. I know in our classes we talk about so many things to do for you to prepare uh, to birth your baby. And there are so many things to do to prepare for natural childbirth. But this is, that's the reason it's lesson number one. This is the core. This is the foundation. If you do this, you prevent so many problems. And even if problems come up, such as threatened preeclampsia, threatened gestational diabetes, uh, I urge you to send me an email because most of those can be addressed by looking at your nutrition, perhaps taking something out, perhaps adding something in, perhaps doing some intensive nutrition. I don't want to get into all of that right now, but the point is is that nutrition is your basis. It is your foundation to build a healthy pregnancy on. It is day in, it is day out, it can feel boring, it can feel tedious, sometimes it can feel like you're eating a whole lot, and we can troubleshoot all of that, but in the end, it is your foundation. You want a healthy baby. Your baby is worth the effort every day for nine months. Yes, it may be nine long months, but it's nine months to give your baby a great start, to give you and your baby a great birth, to give you and your baby a safe birth, and to just to give your baby an awesome start for the rest of his or her life. It is that important. You can do it. You can do it even if you don't have much money. You can do it even if you feel like it takes a lot of effort. I'll just give you a few tips real quick. We've talked about a lot of this in, in class lessons, and if you need to, need to refer you to a specific class lesson recording or PDF, just let me know and I'm happy to because I cover this several times, especially the convenience factor. But I want to run through it real quick just to, to jog your memory and to fresh your, refresh your mind. So, you can, you can have good nutrition. Remember, um, both midwife Jenny Joseph and Dr. Tom Brewer were working with low-income women, and those women were able to do what it took to have a healthy pregnancy diet. It doesn't have to be fancy. I will say it does not all have to be organic, though, of course, that's ideal. But if you have nourishing pregnancy foods and they're from traditional produce and traditional meats, you can still raise a healthy baby. And that's better than just giving it up and eating processed food, really, really. Anyways, the vegetables are inexpensive, um, so you can have a lot 
of nutritious vegetables, filling out, rounding out your diet. We'll talk about that in a minute. A wide variety of those, relatively inexpensively. Eggs are very inexpensive. Even if they have to be supermarket eggs, Mama, they are generally very inexpensive for you. They pack a lot of protein, almost perfect nutrition. You can choose less expensive cuts of meat, roasts uh, and things like that. Whole chickens, if you are confused as to how to cook a whole chicken, please email me or ask me about it on next week's call because I, I used to be intimidated by them, but they're very easy. Roast chickens, very easy. I know those of you in the northern hemisphere right now sweating away all of your calories like I am. Um, it's hard to think about roasting anything, but it's really very easy. And then you can make chicken stock, which is wonderful too. And whole chickens are very inexpensive. You can go for less expensive cuts of meat, which might actually be good because they tend to be fattier. And as we'll talk about in a few minutes, animal fats are good for you. Dairy, I know that dairy products have really increased in price in the last few years, but dairy is still relatively inexpensive and it's an excellent source of uh, protein. Milk is an excellent source of protein, carbohydrates, sodium. It's uh, like eggs, almost a perfect food. And cultured milk products like yogurt and kefir, also very wonderful foods. Cheese, also very good. Beans are very inexpensive and they provide a good protein source. Beans can be very easy, set it and forget it. You soak them in the crock pot one night, change out the water, cook them overnight the next night. They're very uh, They're essentially set it and forget it kind of food. Uh, some other tips are cook on the weekends. So if you have busy weeks, then you can cook on the weekend and fill your freezer or your fridge with healthy meals for the rest of the week. Double up entrees. So if you're making, say, a lasagna or a casserole one night, it doesn't take much time to double that up. Do two of them and freeze one, and then you have one for a day that's more hectic. One of my favorite tips, this tip came from when you're expecting twins, triplets, and quads by Dr. Barbara Luke. Um, she recommends that women who are expecting multiples who need to eat very often, that they prepare a cooler of snacks. So if you're working or uh, or if you're on bed rest or you're going to be out of the house all day or, or you just have a hard time getting everything together when, when you need it, um, you can get together a cooler of snacks or set aside one of the bins in your refrigerator to hold snacks that you prepare in the morning or prepare every couple of mornings sandwiches or other snacks like that. You have a snack list uh, in your two-week menu plan that you got in lesson one. You can just have those snacks and things on hand, yogurt cups, that sort of thing, ready for you to grab and go from the cooler or from the bin in your refrigerator when, when you're hungry or when you know that it's been a while since you've eaten. And that makes things a lot easier. Also, on the, the financial standpoint, don't be afraid to Ask for help if you need it uh, from your church or if your government, like in the United States, has a program called Women, Infants, and Children, which is WIC. I think they made some improvements to the food package, which I think were actually a little detrimental for pregnant women because they took away some of the cheese, milk, and eggs from pregnant women, which is unfortunate. But you can still get help with cheese, milk, and eggs. They also help out now with fresh vegetables. Um, 
so you can still get good things through there. So don't hesitate to seek aid if you need it. If you don't know where to start in your county um, or your uh, province or your jurisdiction that you're in in whatever country you're in, then ask your doctor or midwife because they should know uh, or ask for a referral to a social worker who will know. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Your baby is worth it. Okay. Now that we've talked a little bit about the whys, talked about how it's possible even for, for moms in the toughest of situations and with the busiest of lives, let's move on into the diet itself. First, it, what it's not. It's not about calories. This is not about calories. The, in fact, the only time you heard me say 2,700 calories and you also heard me say that was the average. So that, that was the average. Women ate less, women ate more. But it's not about calories. And the only time it is about calories is really when you're not getting enough. If you are not getting enough to eat, if you are having complications crop up and you email me, I'm going to say, let's look at a, a typical three-day menu and let's look at how much are you getting. Are you getting enough is where we're going to start with. The only other time that I would worry about calories is if all you're eating is processed food. If you're in this class, you're probably pretty whole foods, real foods minded already, but if you're eating a lot of processed food, then you're getting a lot of empty calories. You don't want to worry about your calories when they're actually working for you. If they're just, you know, marching along in sugar and in processed salt, then that's not good. Regular salt is good. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when it's all processed foods, then we worry about calories. The solution isn't, though, to drop the calories. The solution is to drop the processed food and replace them with real foods. So this is not about calories. I'm not going to give you a calorie level and tell you you have to hit that. Okay, so it's about nutritious foods. What are nutritious foods? Now, I'm not knocking vegetables. Let's move beyond vegetables. I just want to tell you, I'm not knocking them to start with. The most nutritious food, though, gram for gram, ounce for ounce, are animal foods, are the most nutritious foods by far. They have more protein, they have good fat, they have vitamins, they have minerals. In fact, if you look at the nutritional profile of a piece of steak uh, and then compare it to any vegetable, the piece of steak is just off the charts packed with nutrition. Uh, even vitamins and minerals over the vegetables. I think that's a common misperception because we are so encouraged to eat our veggies nowadays that we think that, oh, oranges, vitamin C. And the reality is, is there are some nutrients that, that we get from, uh, from these things like beans, B vitamins, that we get from these vegetable or plant-based foods, but really, the most vitamins, the highest level of vitamins are in animal foods. I urge you to include animal foods in your pregnancy diet. I do not recommend that you be vegan during pregnancy. And if you are vegetarian during pregnancy for ethical or religious reasons, I urge you very strongly to encourage or to, to include dairy, eggs, and seafood as much as is permissible uh, by your religious tenets or by your ethical beliefs because, um, and, and most, from what I understand, most religious vegetarians can eat dairy and eggs and, and many of them seafood too. 
And if, if there are moral issues going on there, then think about, too, your baby and uh, how you're morally and ethically obliged to nourish him or her and his or her growing body and seek out sources of these foods where you can feel good about eating them. So I definitely urge you, include animal foods in your diet. Again, meat, seafood, dairy, eggs, those sources of protein, vitamins, minerals, fats are superior to, to any other, really. And they will set your baby up for good health. They nourish your baby. They nourish your baby's placenta. They help your baby's blood supply build up, and they help build up your blood supply. Once you have made these a basis for your diet, so that's meat, seafood, dairy, and eggs form the basis of your diet, then fill that fill in the rest with veggies, fruits, starchy vegetables, and grains in moderation. I differentiated starchy vegetables and then grains in moderation um, because if you're having issues such as uh, possible gestational diabetes or if you are concerned about weight gain, those are the food groups that you want to eliminate. Well, processed sugar would obviously be one, but I'm assuming that you understand. Maybe I shouldn't assume. Um, but we, you don't want processed sugar in this pregnancy diet, ladies. So it's not even included. I didn't even include it in my notes. I'm just thinking about it right now. But you don't want processed sugar. So, but if, so we're assuming that that's a given, that there's not processed sugar or you're having ice cream, preferably homemade or a cookie or whatever, only every once in a while as a treat, not all the time. Um, but starchy vegetables and grains in moderation will be the first thing that you want to cut out if gestational diabetes um, or weight gain or something like that really becomes a concern. And uh, I generally urge mamas to try not to worry about weight gain, but I want to put that in there for those of you who are. So use the vegetables, the fruits, and starchy vegetables would be things like carrots, um, potatoes, sweet potatoes or yams. Those are starchy vegetables. Grains would be things like wheat, barley, rye, spelt. Corn is a grain. Rice, those are grains. And you want to, it's preferable to properly prepare those. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But those, those things, the vegetables uh, and the fruits, those are an accompaniment to, to the meat and that sort of thing. And they're carriers for, for other good things. We'll talk about that again in a minute. So where do you focus on this? Now I've told you what the basic foods are that you want to eat. We do want to get plenty of protein. We'll go back to that protein being simplistic with that. Dr. Brewer says you need to get protein, 80 to 100 grams of protein for one baby. If you are expecting multiples, I've already mentioned Dr. Barbara Luke's book, uh, When You're Expecting Twins, Triplets, or Quads. Uh, I would recommend that you follow the diet in that book. Perhaps Increasing the fat uh, and fresh fruit and decreasing the grains in her suggested diet, but her diet is really well proven in hundreds of multiple pregnancies. It's got a great basis, a good whole foods focus, and I highly recommend that. So if you're expecting multiples, the book is 14 or $15. That's definitely an investment in your baby's future. Go pick that up now. Um, but for one baby, you need 80 to 100 grams of protein a day. And the basis for that protein is going to be the animal foods that I talked about. 
Dr. Brewer recommends that you get it through four cups of milk and two eggs a day forms the basis of that, and that will give you uh, close to half of that daily protein amount a day just with that. If you want something a little bit lower sugar, you could eat, um, you know, lower in carbohydrate than milk. You could eat yogurt or kefir. Both of those, the sugars have been partially digested during the lacto-fermentation process. So they're a little bit less sugary. Or you could do cheese to provide an equal amount of protein. Greek yogurt and cottage cheese both have really high amounts of protein per cup. So one cup of milk has about 8 grams of protein in it. And I think one cup of cottage cheese or Greek yogurt is around 14 grams. So they provide more bang for the buck, so to speak. Uh, so if you're watching carbohydrate levels, that might be something that you want to do. Or if you just aren't a big milk drinker, that might be something you want to do. Um, and then I would recommend that eggs have benefits above and beyond their protein. They have iron. Um, a lot of midwives joke that they make for strong amniotic sacs, and I believe it. So eggs have a lot of benefits. So I would make eggs a couple eggs a day. Think of them as a great big pill, if you must. Chinese mothers eat tons of them every day. But eggs are a good foundation. Once you've gotten that protein in, you want a salt to taste. This is extremely, extremely important. This is part of the Brewer diet that I think is often forgotten about, but Dr. Brewer was very adamant about that. When you are pregnant, starting at about eight weeks pregnant, your blood volume begins to increase so that by the time you are around 28 weeks pregnant, your blood volume is double. You have double the amount of blood in your bloodstream than you do when you're not pregnant. So you you need to salt to taste so that your body can maintain that dramatically expanded blood volume. And that is that is really what helps uh, prevent problems like preeclampsia and things from developing. So salt to taste. Um, on her podcast, Taking Back Birth, Marin from Indie Birth shared an experiment with Dr. Brewer. I think it was Dr. Brewer she said that did it. I haven't read about it, but he had pregnant women come in three times during pregnancy, once in each trimester, and he offered them the same meal each of the three times and uh, put a, a salt shaker on the table, and the nurse would measure the amount of salt used. And throughout the experiment, for all the different mothers, the amount of salt that they put on their food spontaneously, no hints, no questions from him, increased with each trimester. Isn't that cool? I mean, our bodies know how much salt we need. And if you're not eating processed foods, then you especially need to make sure that you salt to taste. Right now in the Northern Hemisphere, as I said as I'm recording this, it's really hot. You pregnant mamas need to make sure you're salting to taste because your body is sweating out a lot of sodium. Also, very important, if you are following a paleo diet, a grain-free diet, a low-carb diet, or if you're restricting those carbohydrates and grains because of gestational diabetes or for weight gain reasons, you need to make extremely certain that you're salting well because um, the pregnant body is naturally insulin resistant and the pregnant body will slip into a state of ketosis more easily when you're eating less sugars. And as long as you're eating plenty of fats, getting in vegetables, getting in some fruits and things, that's fine. Your body has lots of energy to grow your baby, but your mineral levels can become depleted a lot faster because your body doesn't hold on to salt in the same way 
So you need to make sure that you're salting to taste if you're following any of those diets um, or if you're lowering your carbohydrate levels to control gestational diabetes through nutrition alone. Make sure that you are salting very well. You need good fats. So we've talked about your protein, we've talked about your salt, and you need good fats. Uh, good fats are fats that come from animal foods, are coconut oil, olive oil. If it's a traditional vegetable fat, that means it's been around for a long time, um, then it's a good fat. Palm oil is another good one. Vegetables and fruits are carriers for fat. I mentioned this a few minutes ago. Vegetables and fruits are a great way to make sure you're getting your fat in. Butter your vegetables, put dressing on them. If you, if you do uh, dressing that's store-bought, try and find one that's not soybean oil. Um, but dressing or olive oil, lots of olive oil and vinegar. Be really generous with your dressings, with your butter, with your hollandaise sauces and those things. You get plenty of good fat in. The fat gives your body energy to grow your baby. It gives your body energy to process all of your baby's waste and maintain all of your bodily systems. It's very important. Um, so make sure that you fat to taste. Fat to taste. <laughs> make sure that you eat plenty of good fat as you're salting today. Drink plenty of water. Uh, pregnancy tea is another good option. Just get plenty of fluids in. And to help your body, again, with processing all those waste, because you're processing everything for you, you're processing everything for your baby, you want to make sure that you're getting that in. I recommend that you break your pregnancy diet into several small meals daily, three small meals and three snacks daily is what I generally recommend. If you're early in pregnancy and having problems with morning sickness, I recommend four snacks a day. Uh, I recommend that you have one early in the morning as soon as you get up, maybe even before you get out of bed, and then breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack. If you're not having problems with morning sickness, it can be breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack. What would a typical day of this look like? Let's say that you've got some morning sickness. So you start off the morning um, with a little snack of a few apple slices with uh, some peanut butter smeared lightly on them or a piece of string cheese. That was one of my favorite things. Or a piece of string cheese and a couple of orange slices gives you a little bit of protein, gives you a little bit of carbohydrate. That seems to help settle tummies. Then a short while later, you would get up and have breakfast. Maybe you would have bacon and eggs and an orange slice or a piece of sourdough toast or maybe you would have cottage cheese and a little bit of fruit. Um, I would recommend that you avoid breakfast cereals, cold breakfast cereals, but you might like to have oatmeal with cream and butter. Those are all good breakfast choices. Then for your morning snack, maybe you have a Greek yogurt with some fruit or some cottage cheese with some fruit, or you have a hard-boiled egg and some orange slices. I, I often recommend having a protein and the light carbohydrate for your snack because that seems to help quell nausea and give a lot of good energy. So those are some ideas. Uh, celery sticks with peanut butter, a trail mix, so a handful of nuts with some dried fruits or even just mixed nuts, and a cup of pregnancy tea, something like that. Lunch, you might have a sourdough sandwich with with leftover meats on it, you can heat them up if you would prefer to do that. That's often recommended for safety in pregnancy. Uh, or you have a peanut butter sandwich or a grilled cheese sandwich. 
if you're trying to avoid doing uh, a lot of the carbohydrate, then you might make a low-carb bread substitute. I've got a couple of great recipes that I've been experimenting with lately, and I'll be happy to email them to you. Um, but you can have a low-carb bread and make a wrap with that. There are a lot of different options. You could have leftovers from the night before. You could have a salad, a big salad that has lots of fresh garden veggies and some leftover grilled meat or some meat that you grill up. You could have salmon that you fried up real quick with a big salad on the side. And um, I've been having a salmon dish lately that I really like for lunch, for a quick lunch for myself to get my salmon in for, for while I'm nursing Corwin. And I just make a sauce with a little bit of cream cheese and a little bit of green chili salsa mixed together over the salmon. It's divine. Um, so those are just really quick lunch ideas. Snack, afternoon snack could be similar. Same thing that I was talking about with your morning snack. So a piece of fruit and a protein such as egg and um, egg and orange slices or apple slices or a smoothie that you've made up. That's another good easy snack. And then supper, you could have a casserole dish that might have some cheese and some a creamy cheesy dish, uh, broccoli and a meat, or you might choose to have a steak or you may have roast chicken. Maybe you want to follow Dr. Brewer's recommendation and have a baked potato once a week. So you have uh, some chicken breast or steak and then a loaded baked potato. Those are all different options just to give you an idea. And it doesn't have to be an enormous amount of food at any one of those meals, but the grazing helps keep your blood glucose very stable throughout the day. It helps keep a continuous supply of nutrients going to your baby, going to his or her placenta and to building the blood supply that both of you need because you're building your blood supply and you're building your baby's blood supply from scratch. Okay, when to build up. This is another question that I get a lot, and it's actually one that I've wondered myself, so I've looked into it. Uh, this much food may sound overwhelming, especially early in pregnancy, though my hope is that if you're eating at least a small amount of protein and carbohydrate every couple of hours, you're able to keep food down. But this... It sounds like a lot of food, especially if you were to look at something like Dr. Brewer's diet plan or the diet plans that I've outlined in Lesson 1 of Mama Baby Birthing, or if you were to look at uh, Dr. Barbara Luke's multiples plan. It looks like a lot of food. Um, and I would really recommend that you shoot for being up to that level of food by about 20 weeks because that's really, from that point on in pregnancy, so much is going on, and you want to be able to you want to be sustaining all the amazing amounts of growth that are going on with your baby. So early in pregnancy, you don't necessarily need all the extra calories right away. So my hope is that you're eating very nutritious, real foods. But So shoot for by about 20 weeks of pregnancy, you're built up to this level of eating. Now once you've done these basics, just the basic simple um, meats, dairy products, fish, those kind of meal centered around that, filled out with vegetables, with fruits here and there, with some grain products here and there if you want those. You can build on that basic foundation with superfoods if you want to. What are superfoods? Those are things like broth, so homemade chicken broth, things like fermented vegetables and drinks, so lacto-fermented or traditionally made sauerkraut, kimchi, uh, kefir, which is a, a dairy dairy drink, uh, kombucha, and small amounts if you haven't had it before, start with small amounts. But those kind of fermented foods or superfoods can be added in. 
Soaking your grains, your beans, your nuts, and your seeds is important for digestibility. Once you've gotten the basics done, I really encourage you to explore those. I want to talk specifically about three things. One grain that I urge you to look into during pregnancy, it's actually a seed, but it cooks kind of, you know, it cooks like a grain. So a lot of people think of it like a grain. It's quinoa, and that is spelled Q-U-I-N-O-A, quinoa. It's a seed, has a great protein profile. It's very nutritious, high in protein, and it doesn't cause as many gastric problems for some people. It's essentially kind of a little super seed, and it, it works well in, in dishes that call for rice. Um, so it makes a really nice side. A salmon with a side of seasoned quinoa, really yummy. Beans, I, I've mentioned beans several times because they give a lot of protein. Uh, they give great B vitamins. Make sure that you soak them properly. If, if you are depending on beans for some of your protein every day or, or every week, I would strongly recommend that you have some animal foods uh, along with the beans or at least on that day, so milk or dairy or a little bit of meat in with your beans uh, to give some flavor and just a little bit of extra boost. This is a great way to stretch your meat if you're on a budget. But having the meat with it greatly enhances the nutrition level of your beans. Nuts are also another good thing. They have lots of nutrients. They're kind of like milk. They have protein and carbohydrate and fat all rolled into the nut package. They're easy to take places. Often we can eat nuts even when we feel nauseous and can't eat other things. I urge you once once you feel like you've got things under control, research soaking and drying your nuts um, because really that increases the digestibility of them. But if you can't do that, that's okay. If you're going for trail mixes, look for trail mixes that are made with nuts and a little bit of dry fruit. Don't go for the trail mixes that have lots of candy and stuff mixed into them or mostly actually little grain puffs and not trail mix at all or not nuts at all. Greens are superfoods during pregnancy. Spinach and other cooked greens are, are really wonderful for helping build your blood and helping lessen the chance of postpartum depression. So if you can get in greens, uh, some midwives even recommend something like chlorophyll or liquid green chlorophyll drops. If you can get those into your diet, then those only benefit you and your baby because they have some specific superfood qualities. Gelatin is another good thing. If you want to do this, I recommend that you make your own gelatin treats. I have a recipe for coconut jigglers I'm happy to share with you. Um, and those use coconut milk and gelatin. But gelatin is high in protein. It's also uh, very high in collagen, and it really helps build you and your baby's body up, helps your baby build a strong umbilical cord and amniotic fluid. That's another superfood. Remember, all these superfoods are, are to build on things. The biggest message is really to eat enough and to eat nutritious foods. I can do a whole other class on weight gain because really that's something that could take up a whole, a whole class all on itself if you're concerned with that. So just if, if anybody has a specific concern about that, email me and let me know and I can plan out a class on that. Um, but what, but what you really need to do is get the protein and then fill out around that. Remember, it's not simplistic. It's not just, oh, make sure you get 80 grams of protein a day. It's make sure you're eating real food. Make sure you're eating nutritious foods. Make sure you're getting the nutrition in. And while you do that, 
It should be adequate food. It should be adequate protein and also adequate salt. So I want to say that pay attention, especially particularly to the protein and the salt, but that's not all you need to do. Don't just eat, you know, four hamburgers a day and call it done. Make sure you're getting more than that in. You can take shortcuts, but make them nutritious ones. Like I talked about, go ahead and, and prepare the food in advance. Do a little bit of extra cooking here and there. Prep your snacks in the morning uh, or, or do a few, a few days' worth of snacks so that it's just easy to grab and go at another point. So make the effort to create shortcuts for yourself. Take the few extra minutes on the weekend or on a lazy morning or a slow afternoon to make it easier for yourself on a day that might be busier. So do take shortcuts, but do make them nutritious ones. Your baby is depending on you. You need to eat nutritious foods, real food, not just fortified foods. In fact, stay away from them. Not just fattish foods that you may have heard are wonderful, but eat real foods, eat nutritious foods. All right. I hope that was helpful for you. If you have any questions or comments, please let me know, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com. If you have time, take a minute to drop me a rating on iTunes. I'd love to know what you think. I always like to look at the ratings and especially read the reviews, so leave one of those if you can. If you're interested in more information about my birthing classes, you can go to Mama, M-A-M-A, mamababybirthing.com and if you'd just like to get a free recording called Trust Birth 101 and my free beginner's guide to natural childbirth I told you last week I was setting up an easy way for you to get that and I've got that set up just go to Trust Birth 101 that's trustbirth101.com and that'll direct you to a page where you can sign up and get my free Trust Birth recording and you can also get a complimentary copy of the beginner's guide to planning a natural childbirth And I will talk to you in just a couple of weeks. I hope you and your family have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.